want to check our account, but we want to check it while we're having a glass of wine and we're talking to our spouse. If you're really a trusted advisor and you're really working your book, there are a ridiculous amount of opportunities sitting there right in front of you. Advisors learn to go back to that book and actually get in front of them. And boy, oh boy, they learn that they have more money elsewhere. The advisor that moved from Colorado to New Zealand kept all his clients and has managed to grow his business significantly from New Zealand. The branch staff has the time and they are going deeper and they're spending that time with those clients and members. This podcast will probably be released right around the time of the Super Bowl. So let's go around the table and get your Super Bowl picks. What two teams will make it and who gets the trophy? Brian, we're going to start with you. Hello, and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch podcast. Good to have you with us today. Industry Trend Watch is a monthly series with industry leaders discussing trends in the financial institutions channel. Productivity trending is provided by our bankchannelresearch.com portal, an interactive tool that reports on channel performance based on data collected monthly from over 50 financial institutions. In addition to industry trends, you will hear our guests provide their perspectives on the evolving strategic initiatives that are driving success and enabling our channel to better compete in the broader financial services industry. But first, we'd like to thank Ameriprise for making these podcasts possible. And as a show of appreciation, let's please listen to this brief message. We will then turn it over to Jana Capaletti, the creator of bankchannelresearch.com, who will kick us off with a trending overview. This is Chris Melton, National Director of the Ameriprise Financial Institutions Group. Ameriprise Financial Institution Group is a proud sponsor of the BISA Monthly Industry Trending Podcast Series. With more than 25 years of experience and knowledge in serving the investment program needs of local banks and credit unions, Ameriprise Financial Institution Group brings a depth of understanding as well as investment capabilities to help clients and members feel more confident, connected, and in control of their financial life. We look forward to learning more about your financial institution and sharing how a successful investment program can be a competitive advantage. Call us at 800-679-1237 or visit us at Ameriprise.com slash AFIG. Securities offered by Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Not federally insured, no financial institution guarantee, may lose value. Thank you. Hi, this is Janet Capaletti, the Managing Director of Research for Stathis Partners and the creator of BankChannelResearch.com, here with a short wrap-up of 2021 results. In 2021, many financial advisors were no longer on the branch rotation schedule, and they had a chance to find opportunities to build stronger relationships with existing clients. This strategy has proven effective as advisory revenue soared 20% over 2020, directly boosting the average FC productivity, as well as household revenue penetration 20% over the previous year. Total annuity production was unchanged. In fact, total transactional revenue slipped only 1%, due in very small part to life insurance, which tanked for the fifth consecutive year. Life insurance in the revenue mix was at 2% in 2020 and dropped to 1.5% in 2021. 1.5%. I'd like to thank LPL and Infinex for providing much of the data used in this analysis. And now I'd like to turn it over to Scott and Bob. Hello, and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch. I am Scott Stathis. I'll be your host, along with Bob Mattel, who will introduce himself in a moment. So the topic for today's discussion is growth beyond the branches. And we will be using BISA's recent research report of the same name as a basis for our discussion. The report was prepared by Aite Noverica. And if you haven't read it, you should. There are some great insights in that report. Today's guests, who will introduce themselves shortly, are Mike Mirabali of Huntington and one of the leads on BISA's research committee, and Brian Cervik, who, among other things, has been responsible for data-oriented initiatives at Ameriprise. Clearly, data will be one of the solutions for growth beyond the branches, and we will be discussing that. So with that, I'll hand it off to Bob, who will introduce himself and then have our guests introduce themselves. Bob? 
Well, thanks so much, Scott. And again, welcome to this podcast, the BISA January edition, also known as our Super Bowl edition. Our first Super Bowl edition, which will be talked about just a little later, so stay tuned for that. And I am Bob Battelle, I am the co-host of this podcast. Today, as always, we have a great panel that we thank and appreciate for joining us today. We'd also like to thank the BISA and Ameriprise for their sponsorship of this podcast. And for all things BISA, including the upcoming annual convention in late February, check out BISANet.org for more information. So let's get right into it and meet our panel. Mike. Well, hi there, Bob. How are you? All good here. Ready? And Willie? Great. So uh, Mike Mirabali, I uh, oversee the Huntington Investment Company, which is the broker-dealer RIA, responsible for working with our branches across an eight-state network. We have about 250 advisors across the network and very pleased to be uh, joining you today. And also the incoming president of the Bank Insurance and Securities Association. Thank you. I am. Thank you. Brian, welcome. Thank you. Brian Servick. I'm the Vice President of Business Program Management at Ameriprise. I'm responsible for the onboarding and development of the institutional channel. And then I also cover the West Regional Director in transitioning into that role. Awesome. Thanks so much again for you joining us today. And again, as Scott mentioned, we're going to be talking about the Growth Beyond the Branches report that's 37 pages of great narrative research and trends on how the future of bank investment sales is evolving. You know, the uh, bank wealth programs, bank wealth management programs and their broker deal affiliates are increasingly important today to bank strategic objectives of diversifying revenue resources and growing client share of the wallet, especially among mass affluent clients. So with that as a backdrop, Mike, how do you think the role of the branch is actually changing? That's a great question, Bob. I think as things have evolved, particularly accelerated, I would say, over the last two years with the pandemic, we had seen a trend in branch traffic declining and transactions being done more and more on a mobile device or online, probably more so on the mobile device. And that has been just accelerated through the pandemic as clients have sought alternative ways to be able to transact their banking business. So as that has evolved, the branches and the emphasis of the branches is to be more relationship driven with clients and really being there to assist clients with more of their holistic financial service needs and less about transactional type of activity. So the branches are being, as I've seen, both within Huntington as well as other organizations, the branches are being redesigned. They're being restaffed to really focus more on having private space and being able to have more robust, deeper conversations with clients that get into more of their, call it advisory, as an advisory capacity and less about just executing transactions for them. We've seen it in how they're staffing the branches they're less tellers and more bankers who can handle a transaction if they need to, but they really do pivot to a deeper, broader conversation with the customer about the different services we can offer them. So yeah, I, I see that more and more, and it's really kind of enabling customers and educating them on ways they can transact without having to come into the branch and really have them come into the branch for the higher value type of services that we can provide. Yeah, I think I find that myself too. I think I've been in the branch twice during the pandemic. Everything else is done online. I have a broker. We talk online. We do Zooms. The whole change of how a customer behaves in this new environment is really going to affect us going forward. Absolutely. And by the way, we've seen that in large degree with how our advisors are operating. And we'll probably get into this a little bit more. Less of the servicing is being done in person. The advisors are scheduling time with their clients in branch when they want to go deeper and do a full relationship review, review their plan, things like that. But the normal routines of, hey, I need to take care of withdrawal, I need you, those are being done remotely. And we're going to dig into that a lot more um, later in the conversation. But Brian, I want to ask you your thoughts about the changing environment and life of the branch in the future. 
Yeah, Bob, appreciate it. We're seeing a lot of the same things that you know we were discussing there, but where we're seeing a lot is, is in the technology use in the space. A lot of our advisors were doing those type of reviews, being able to sit down with clients virtually while they were on vacation and so forth. But what we saw with the pandemic, as you all know, is in a 48-hour period, everything went completely electronic. And what we're seeing with the branches is we're starting to see them to be more holistic in their approach coming side by side with the advisor, doing more of a reach out, call campaigns, virtual meetings with the advisor. We're starting to see that across all of our platform. We're also seeing them really, really focus on now that, uh, well, pre the most recent COVID pandemic breakout, we started to see more events at the branches. So the advisors and the branches partnering together to be able to bring in the prospects, the members, the clients, to be working holistically through situations, education and fun events. So we're seeing a lot of that going on on a regular basis. Yeah, and as you both mentioned, acceleration of the technology that is really being embraced by financial advisors and banks is really something that's going to be here to stay, I'm sure. In keeping with our Super Bowl theme, I'm going to pass the football over to Scott for question number two. All right. Thanks, Bob. So what's interesting as I listened to your comments, Mike and Brian, is that the branches are really becoming perhaps what I'll call kind of white glove meeting spaces more than anything else, right? So they're becoming very comfortable places to have those deeper level conversations. And I like, Brian, what you said also about being able to do seminars in the branches, for example. So that is a material difference relative to how the branches have been used. So as a follow-on to that, Mike, let's start with you again with this question. Since our channel has been built by putting advisors in branches, right, but the role of the branches is changing And perhaps the only time an advisor really needs to be in a branch is when they have a scheduled meeting. You know, the question I have is, well, is there a role for branch-based advisors, meaning advisors who are doing the circuit from one branch one day to the next branch the other day, or are they just going to go to branches when they have a need to use the branch as a convenient meeting space to be with their clients? I mean, what do you think about that evolving role of branch-based advisors? Yeah, Scott, you know, I mean, it's going to continue to evolve, but I still believe there's a significant role for the branch-based advisors and the need for the advisor to stay connected to the branch and not just as a meeting place with clients. And I think there's a couple of reasons for it. Number one, I think still think the branch is important within communities because it gives the bank a local feel and a local connection to the community. Now the branch and how it's used may evolve and we may see a pivot in terms of what they're using that branch for. And frankly, as I said before, I think it's great because it is higher value type of visits that we'll see from customers. So maybe branch traffic won't be as much as it was before, but it will be higher value traffic when it comes to what we can deliver to the client and the deepening opportunities we get. But I believe the branch-based advisor needs to, to, or the bank needs to have that local feel and thus the branch advisor needs to be local and that branch location is that connection to the community. Secondly, the advisor needs to be connected to the team that's making, whether they're making outbound calls, whether they are servicing clients who are still coming into the branch, they need to be relevant and very much connected to the branch team. When you start just popping in as needed, you start losing that connection and being part of the team. And what has made our advisors really viewed as the best partner in the branch is the fact that we are present and we are there and we don't just pop in occasionally, you know, and do a drive-by or a flyby. We are there, we're in branch huddles, We're providing really quality coaching around what to say, especially because the advisors become this really important individual coach to help bankers move from more of a transactional model and service model to more of a relationship-based model. And the advisor's been doing that, right? So they're the natural person to really help bankers evolve to that. 
deeper, more relationship-based client service model. So I firmly believe that branch advisors are here for the foreseeable future. I just think that they're, how they use the branch and the activities within that and the quality of the referrals that come through the branch are going to be a much higher level going forward. Yeah, uh, you said some interesting things in there. There's a bunch of nuggets I'd like to unpack. And Brian, I want to hand it off to you in a second, but let me just ask a few follow-up questions to you, Mike. And clearly some of the stuff that you just said is backed up by the data in the research report as well. So a few of the things you said, there are three bullet points I wrote down as you were talking. The one is that a branch is an important community space. And I'm wondering how literal that's going to get. And I'll give you an example. There was a bank in our town here, and that's a relatively small town, 10,000 people in the town, but it's a very close town. There was a branch that closed down. And that has left kind of a hole in that, as you call it, community space. Now, I'm thinking the more creative banks out there will literally use their branches as a community space to the point that they allow the town to have small functions and meetings in the branches as well. What a great branding opportunity and a community support opportunity for the bank, right? So have it literally become a community space because there are so many little towns across and you know medium-sized towns across our nation that don't have those community centers and the branches are in the center of those towns and that would be perfect, right? So I love that concept. You know, the research report also talked about the importance the ongoing importance of call nights when you're doing it with a team in the branch. So back to one of the things you said about just that relationship between the advisor and the branch staff. So the question in that regard is you implied that the staffing at the branch level is evolving because of how the branches are evolving. So the new types of staff in the branches, are they destined to be even better partners for the advisors in that regard? Based on the training that they're going through and the types of bankers that they're bringing in, absolutely. Yeah, I think they will be because they are asking better questions. Uh, They're spending more time with customers to get to know them versus just get them in and out, right? Get the transaction done and move on to the next one. You know, there's always going to be some of that ebb and flow, right? Because branch traffic hasn't evaporated. It's still there some places more than others, but you're seeing more and more of the training around looking for cues and the data that you get through Salesforce or whatever CRM system you're using that can provide cues of what might be of interest to that customer at a particular time based on the data we have. Remember, we're a bank. We have lots of data on our customers. So being able to train the bankers to know how to use and the cues within the system to be able to identify opportunities to better serve clients. Yeah, makes sense. So Brian, let me get your thoughts on those issues and the primary question, which is what is the what is the role, the future role for branch-based advisors and how is that evolving? And you know, clearly you see a big variety of programs given Ameriprise's position in the channel. So would love your insights from the perch that you have. So Scott, I completely agree with all the stuff you were going over. We're seeing the advisors across the industry changing and adjusting and going more to the big data model and partnering with the branches and with the banks. And what we're seeing is we're seeing that holistic approach for two reasons, in my opinion. One, the branch staff has the time and they are going deeper and they're spending that time with those clients and members. And what they're doing is, is they're bringing in the other resources. So then the advisors then take that, go through the holistic planning approach, and they're really starting to uncover more and more assets. And that's a key to the success. The other thing we're seeing out there really is social media, website presence, being able to market differently to all of those clients using those data points. So uh, the institution would be looking at a subset of group, they would identify it, the advisor and them would market and brand to them together. So each one would be communicating and working appropriately, you know, of course, within the privacy policies and so forth. But we're seeing a lot of that, you know, Scott, as we're moving forward. Yeah, interesting stuff. And it seems to me that the institutions that are doing their best to stay ahead of the curve, ahead of, or let me put it a different way, really recognize where the puck is going and aggressively moving in that direction are experiencing a lot of success because of their ability to 
not be stuck in place, not be a deer in the headlights because of the rapid change that and challenges that we have in our channel. Brian, you had an additional thought there? Yeah, I think you're spot on. And what you're seeing is when what you're talking about uh, is the advisors taking more branches. You're seeing a lot of that. You're also seeing the advisors, they're taking on the other branches, but they're doing the trainings, not only in person, but they're doing them virtually. And so when you're talking about partnering, they really spend the time saying, okay, here's what we need to do. Here's how we're going to go about developing that relationship. And then when they have the time and the branches are open, then they're going on site and they're continuing to develop the relationships back to what Mike was talking about. They're more powerful in person, but the technology is allowing them to be able to do it on a larger scale. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things I want to hand it back to you, Bob, in a second, but one of the things that dawns on us as we look at the data is, you know, we're talking about growth beyond the branches, but if you look at our penetration rates as an industry, they're kind of awful. So the overwhelming majority of our bank clients and credit union members don't have an investment account with the institution. You know, it's the average penetration rate, somewhere between 4% to 7%, maybe if you have your own BD. So there's huge growth opportunity. And more than that, and I've said this many times on our podcast, if you look at each advisor's book, they're not dealing with the majority of their clients' investable assets. So it's, you know, not only do we not have penetration relative to households with investment accounts, but we do not have the majority of their investable assets yet. So there's a ton of room for expansion. And Mike, I'd like to get into, and you don't have to do it now, but you know, you mentioned RIA and that's an important part of the equation too. I'm going to ask you a question about that going forward, because that's a great dynamic that's happening in our channel. And I'd love to hear your experience with that, but, but let's put that on pause for a second. And I'm going to hand it back to Bob for the next question. Thanks, Scott. I'm going to talk a little bit about branch traffic. And I think the study was referring to branch referrals reduced from 50% in 2019 to 31% in 2020. So there's a, you know, a significant drop in branch referrals. I think there's also been pressure on branches in terms of licensed banker programs. There's less opportunities with DOL and there's probably less Series 6 folks out there. So Mike, as branch walk-in traffic decreases, what will become the primary lead source for advisors. You know, where are they going to get their business? There's going to be less people in the branches. They're kind of being pushed out there. I mean, they're coming in for the big stuff, but, you know, in terms of more opportunities. Sure, Bob. Well, there's three ways I can point to it. Number one is, and Brian mentioned this, I think, in answering the first question, and, and that is more outbound calls from our branch partners. So really teaming up with your, you know, if it's a licensed banker or personal banker, teaming up with that banker to make outbound calls and really provide a a potential opportunity to better serve that client. But you got to have a compelling reason for that customer to come in. So more and more, I think that you can tie the value proposition of the banking with investments the more of a compelling reason you can have to have to get that customer to come in and talk to you about potentially expanding their relationship. So outbound calling, though, efforts are, I think, are a critical part of it. The second thing that I see is being a big, and it's a big investment, but having that digital experience and being able to integrate your digital investment experience with your banking experience and really be able to substitute the branch traffic that's not coming in, the digital traffic. And harvest that digital traffic through engaging those customers in a variety of ways to get them interested, bring some visibility to the investment services that we offer in order to start generating some leads from customers who visit our sites all the time, either through their mobile device or online. The third is around working their book. Advisors learned in 2020 that they actually have a book of business to work that's more than the top 10% of their book, right? They have all these customers that they maybe reach out to in a blue moon or purely reactive to their needs. Advisors learned to go back to that book, call customers and actually get in front of them. And boy, oh boy, they learned that they have more money elsewhere. And that has certainly led to deepening relationships and being able to make their book more efficient. So I think, you know, those three things are all going to drive continue to drive referrals, but it's whether it's going to be more tilted towards branch versus book, all depends on where that advisor is in terms of the maturity of their book of business 
and where they, you know, because if they have a big book of business and they've been in the branch for a while, maybe it's time to step away from the branch and focus on the book and let somebody else come in and work with the branch partners to do the outbound calling and mine those opportunities to address that pathetic penetration rate that Scott mentioned earlier of four to 7%. You know, those sound like really great ideas. More outbound calls, the digital investment experience, working their book. There's one statistic that's even worse than penetration. It's the, the protection experience, the protection example, the protection conversation. Oh gosh, yes. That as yet a fourth leg of the three-legged stool, so to speak, say, wow, why don't you bring in your insurance policy for us to review? Any interest in doing that? That could be a whole new ballgame. Totally agree. I always have to weave my insurance <laughs> to these podcasts. Brian, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say regarding you know, this decrease in referrals, the whole DOL Series 6 thing. And is there room for protection in this conversation? <laughs> you know, Bob, I think I should get you to come train some of our advisors and you, you know, you could teach them to ask that question. They all could use it as a reminder, right? Uh, you, you know, Mike did a great job of laying out where we're at and what we're seeing as a whole. There's a couple points I'd like to add to that is we're seeing the advisors still get good quality referrals. Of course, the volume's down, but you're seeing the, the, and the advisors have been making that shift. They're doing a deeper partnering with either the lenders or the personal bankers, or it depends on which groups, you know, the different groups of the institution so that they can go on dinners together. They could go on prospecting together. We call them, take them to a coffee, sit down and just introduce and talk about solutions. So you're seeing that. So they're spending a lot of time there, but we're also seeing them really work their centers of influence right now. And we tie it back to the client experience. If the advisor has an amazing client experience and service model, then that ties into those centers of influence and they relate to it. There's not a center of influence out there that's not going to feel uncomfortable referring that advisor if they've experienced that. So that's going to be key. And then, of course, the holistic planning with their existing book always spawns referrals and it creates more opportunities. So as the advisors go through that and they do the planning, you know, they're cloning their great clients and that's going to always be a key. So I don't really see them going completely away from it. I think they're going to work differently with the branches and I think they're going to work different in volume, but they're dealing with better cases in most cases and they're able to spend the time. I can't agree more. I don't think anyone should ever be worried about a lack of referrals because if you're really a trusted advisor and you're really working your book, there are a ridiculous amount of opportunities sitting there right in front of you. With that, I think we mentioned about passing the puck, but this is football season. I'm passing the football back over to Scott and keep this conversation going. You know, we're talking about data, right? So data has come up several times now. So Brian, I want to keep you on point for a second and then Mike pass it back to you. But this is a data-oriented question. So we keep on saying that branch traffic has been converted to digital traffic, but the reality is that the type of branch traffic that's converted to digital traffic is the transactional stuff, depositing a check and just that basic stuff is all now done via an app, right? Most of it's mobile or online. So the branches are becoming different. So what's the corollary as it relates to investment services? Because there's certainly a lot of transactional stuff that happens with an investment client. So how is that going to evolve? What's the digital version of investment transactions that banks have to offer and credit unions have to offer so their advisors can focus on the more sophisticated stuff? And again, talking about the corollary, because that's what's going on in the branches. The branches are becoming meeting spaces for that more sophisticated stuff when doing a deeper dive. So if we're passing off the digital stuff to technology, how are we going to pass off that same type of transactional digital stuff to technology to let the advisors focus on the stuff that really matters? Brian, you want to take a swing at that? Or you want to pass the football or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'd gladly pass the football, but uh, I don't want to talk about it because my Cowboys played as bad as the Patriots. So I'm still soaking my wounds after uh -huh. that. So uh, unfortunately, <laughs> it's another year to try to wait and see, but... You know, Scott, it's really interesting when you start thinking about it. You know, we invest substantially in technology to keep the advisor in front of the client so that they can drive the experience. And so when you think of those type of things and you think that most clients now want to be able to do everything that they can when they want to do it. 
we want to check our account, but we want to check it while we're having a glass of wine and are reading a book or we're sitting by the fire and we're talking to our spouse and we want to review our financial plan. So technology to me is key to be able to do that. So how does the advisor drive that? So we have to make sure that all those tools are enabled. So all those things are at your fingertips and that our advisors can use so they can push that financial plan out to the client. The client can then review it when they're ready, not necessarily when they schedule the meeting with the advisor. And then they can have those conversations or they can submit something back. They can sign those forms when they're ready, whether it's on their phone, their iPad, their computer, They can move money over to their brokerage account from their bank or credit union when they're ready or vice versa if they want to move it back. In my opinion, when you start to really look at the ease of use and how you do that, people expect it. They expect it now and they want it to be simple and easy. And if we do that, we continue to do those type of things. Then we get to spend the time on the things that are important to them, their family, their goals, retirement, travel you know, all of the charities, legacy planning, so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So it begs the question, if you have a banking app where you can deposit checks and do your transactions and pay bills on your phone, do we need to have a similar set of transactional oriented investment stuff on that same app? Should it be one and the same essentially, right? So Mike, let me pass it to you for holistic thoughts in that regard as the program leader of a big program. (laughs) Thanks, Scott. Well, first of all, Brian, spike the ball because that was a great answer. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I would say, you know, I couldn't agree more with Brian's comments. I think having access to information, you know, think about a lot of the time advisors are having to field calls from their clients because they need information at a particular time tax season, what have you, or they're closing on a loan and they need information on their assets or the variety of their accounts to be able to provide. Having ready access to that information and being empowered not to have to pick up the phone, get voicemail, which you inevitably will, and wait for a response, you're able to get it in the moment. So I completely agree. Also being able to move money readily. So you know, I need to get money from my brokerage account into my bank account or wire funds out, being able to do that without having to call somebody and having that, again, at your fingertips. I think those are all great capabilities to have. And I agree with you, Scott. It's got to be embedded within the retail experience. Because again, if you're having to launch out to another site, it doesn't have that feel. You want to be able to toggle between your bank and investment relationship just by clicking one click. We have a philosophy of minimize the number of clicks a customer has to have, minimize the number of clicks an advisor has to have in order to accomplish what they need done. So the more you can do that, I think the better experience you give customers. And again, the key is that the interactions with the advisor are about their goals, their plan, how we can best serve them in meeting their long-term needs and not about executing a transaction. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting how the best solution is always an elegant combination of the human factor and the technology factor, right? It's that tech human balancing act. I know Bob has a very related question as it relates to, you know, I brought up app, right? So Bob has a question related to that. So I'm going to, the football's coming back to you, Bob. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay. So when we talk about apps, are we talking like a separate investment app? Or will it be integrated into the overall banking app that most people have already? Do you think there needs to be a separation or can it be all combined? Mike? Yeah, like is there is there a need for a separate robo app or can that robo functionality be right be part yeah. of the banking yeah. app? Yeah, to me, it's a, it ends up just being another widget within the retail experience. And you should be able to look and drill into your investment accounts just like you do your bank accounts. It should be one view rendered together Now, there may be some functionality where, hey, I want to place a trade. I got to hit this widget in order to place this trade. But you shouldn't be going into a separate app or login or even single sign-on to me is is, that's low grade, right? I think it's got to feel and be a fully integrated experience to me to deliver what I believe where the customer wants to be. I can't agree more. I mean, I just went through and I bought electronic tickets to actually a football game a couple of weeks ago. And my tickets would not coordinate with my parking ticket. 
which wouldn't coordinate with the stadium that I was going to. I was going to Hard Rock Stadium to see a game a few weeks ago. And it just, it was so frustrating from a technology standpoint because not everything talks to each other. Brian, I'm wondering, you know, from an Ameriprise situation, how does that all relate? Do you think, will each organization have an app or, or, you know, talk us through what you think the integration may be? You know, what we're seeing is we're seeing most of the institutions that we're partner with wanting to build it into their, whatever the system they're using, their portal. We haven't really been driving it down to the app. We build it so it's functional, whether it's in an app or whether it's actually inside of a uh, internet browser. But what we're seeing is we're seeing kind of a multi-stage. We're seeing the institution start out. They want to show the accounts and the values. And then the second phase after that is they start to say, hey, now we want, and Mike kind of spoke to it a little bit, whether it's a single sign-on, whether it takes you directly, it tells you that you're going into the brokerage account and you're logging in. And then of course you have full functionality. So we're seeing that right now where lots of institutions are really wanting to spend the time and the money to integrate it. And to Mike's point, how do you do that seamlessly so it's a great experience and that the clients, they understand it's seamless, it's one click, it's not 14, 15 different clicks, and they're not having to reset their password every two days. And that makes a lot of sense because it's just totally frustrating sometimes if it's not as smooth. Hey, Mike, is Huntington developing what what you were talking about, this one app experience? Yeah, we are. We're working on a front end that will be fully integrated into our retail online experience. And it'll be really focused on the entire wealth business, not just the broker-dealer. Yeah, I do think it's the wave of the future, but you know what? We're, it's the fourth quarter, and I think we're at the two-minute warning, and Scott's got another question before we have some more fun. Uh, yeah, so a quick comment and then a question, Brian. I'm going to ask you this question, and Mike pass it to you. But the comment is, the interesting thing about apps when you're considering the evolution of your app, whether it's your online banking app or an investment-oriented app, uh, you know, ideally, I think you're right, it should be one and the same. But One of the benefits of apps, if done right, is that it attracts the next geners, which we're really having a tough time attracting as a channel, right? Banks and credit unions have not done a very good job attracting the next geners. And my typical comment is if we rely on the baby boomers, who are all of our clients right now, if you consider the fact that the wealth is being transferred to the next geners, plus they're earning some pretty good money right now, the leading edge of them. If we rely on the baby boomers, like a game of musical chairs, the music stops, you don't have a chair, right? So we need to start attracting those next geners. And the thing to keep in mind when developing the evolution of your app is to do it in such a way where it's attractive to the next geners as well. Because right now they're all on Robinhood and SoFi and Acorns, et cetera, and we're losing assets. And those, those solutions are also now offering banking services. So that doesn't bode well for us if we don't get ahead of that curve, uh, curve as well. So just a thought. So the last question is, and the reason, Brian, why I want to go to you for this question initially, the last question is, what does the future hold for remote advisors, right? Because we see across our channel, a lot of institutions adding what I'll call fully remote advisors to the fold as another tier of advisors, and they're doing everything virtually, right? And initially, they're more focused on the small account, but I know some remote advisors that have gone way past that, and they have a solid book of business, and they're generating some serious GDC. So what does the future hold for remote advisors? Ameriprise has been in that game for a long time and has a very robust remote advisor center. So you've been on the cutting edge of that. What do you see as the evolution of that same thing for what I'll call in-house, in-bank, in-credit union, remote advisor teams, Brian, and then Mike, I'd love your thoughts on that as well. You know, Scott, I know we've had lots of discussions on this topic and with a lot of different institutions and that centralized model and is, in my opinion, is going to be one of the fastest growing segments in the long run. And the main reason is there's a whole group of clients that want to just communicate with people virtually. They want to be able to do the bulk of their business on a day-to-day basis virtually. And then if there's a very large decision, they may want to meet with you in person. So I think you're going to see that. And we're seeing that with our, what we call our centralized model. It's very digital in the approach. They can go on, they can do all the things online, all the questions, the planning, it's fully interactive, it's at their fingertips. But yet when it comes down to it, to making the decision, they want to talk to that advisor. 
They want to say, okay, this is what I'm wanting to do. Is it the right thing to do? They want to get that personal advice. So it doesn't matter which spectrum you're looking at. They are almost all clients, in my opinion, want to have that relationship with that advisor. So I think the centralized model is going to continue to develop there. It doesn't matter if we're setting in Minneapolis, if we're setting them inside of an institutional branch, the model's there, the training's there, the capabilities are there. And, And you're right. A lot of times they start off and they say it's a small account solution. But what you find is with the great service model, the technology and the delivering of full financial planning, those accounts will grow pretty steadily. And next thing you know, you have digital relationships well in excess of a million dollars because they like working that way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've told the story a few times on our podcast about the advisor that moved from Colorado to New Zealand several years ago. It's almost four years ago now kept all his clients and has managed to grow his business significantly working with U.S. clients from New Zealand. So that's the remote advisor for you, other side of the world, right? (laughs) So yeah, Mike, your thoughts on remote advisors. And to be honest, I'm not sure what you've done from that standpoint at Huntington. So maybe you can fill us in. Yeah. I mean, in very short order, I mean, we've had a, a remote model in place now for about three and a half years. So we literally had no call channel, no centralized group when I started at Huntington coming up on five years ago. So we stood up what we call our National Advice Center and initially was designed to really help ease the congestion within advisors' books and give them free some capacity because they had a lot of transactional low balance accounts in their books that weren't getting, that were primarily service. So that's where it started, but we then pivoted and expanded the group to be a a true centralized advisor channel. They actually cover branches directly, particularly our in-store and more rural branches. And what we discovered during the pandemic, we had already knew from our remote advisors, and that is when you're remote, you have a lot more capacity to make outbound calls to customers and be more proactive versus having to do a lot of the meetings and stuff that, you know, is important, but it, it is a bit of a time suck for a branch advisor. So they have been incredibly productive. We've seen the sales go up year to year significantly, and it's now become and evolved into more of a profit center. And I, we see that as, as just growing. And we look at it as, you know, it certainly is a way to mine our underserved households. So being more proactive with them, it allows our branch advisors to focus more on mass affluent and affluent customers. And the more mass and upper mass and emerging customers, uh, first-time investors are being served through our remote advisor channel. I think with digital capabilities, there's going to be an opportunity for those clients. And this is all about client preference. If you prefer to work with a, a local advisor in your community, We'll refer you over to that advisor and they'll meet with you. If you are indifferent to that and you just want to get to know an advisor and you're comfortable working with an advisor remotely, we have that channel available. So I really do see this as being a model that will continue to scale up and build. You know, what's really different for a lot of regional banks versus like an Ameriprise, Ameriprise is a national brand, right? So I see that scaling up significantly because uh, the opportunity to scale that up significantly based on just having great brand recognition. We have to take that same approach, but just do it in a more localized within our footprint so that we are able to be able to, to grow this channel again, because I can cover with one advisor, I can cover a lot of branches when they're centralized versus having an advisor who's going in and out of branches on a regular basis. Yeah. I know of a credit union that's licensed in 40 states because they're doing so much remote work, you know, even though they're not based in 40 states, right? And so it's very doable. Brian, you have a thought? Yes, Scott. The other thing is it also helps you develop a bench. So you can actually bring in advisors, bring them into your centralized unit. You can train them, coach them. It's, It's a great spot to be able to develop talent. Yeah, it's a very good point. And I've seen that directly with a few organizations I've worked with. So this conversation is in the context of growth beyond the branches. And you think about the potential for, Mike, you call yours a national advice center, which is a great name. Yeah, You think of the potential for that, certainly growth beyond the branches because it's not reliant on branches. So the question, Mike, that I'll append to you, because it's on the other end of the spectrum, but it still relates to growth beyond the branches, is what you referred to in in your introduction. And you said RIA, right? Because you have an RIA business. 
Now, when you think of the RIA business, right, and you look at the most successful channel out there, which is the independent NRIA channels, there are a lot of big institutions that are losing advisors to the independent channel. But if done properly, a bank or a credit union could absolutely be a better place to work than hanging your own shingle because of all the resources, because of all the opportunities. I mean, think about having a great relationship with loan officers and the quality of referrals you'll get, for example, right? I mean, there's, there's just so much there. So on the other end of the spectrum with this whole evolution towards what we're calling second story advisors, wealth advisors, do you see it becoming the case, Mike, that you will have perhaps fee-only advisors, true RIA advisors that are functioning like an independent advisor, but they're doing it in your ecosystem. Will that, on the other end of the spectrum, will that be another avenue of growth beyond the branches? Because you're functioning like a true RIA that has no reliance on branches at all. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're kind of doing that already because we do have those second story advisors who built their book with their based on their relationship with the branches and under the halo effect of the bank. The key is how do you maintain a connection to them so that they don't feel like, well, what do I need the bank anymore for? I built my book up. Let me go across the street and maybe I get a nice check, what have you, right? right. Um, what keeps them with us? And it's to your point, they like to work here. They like the connection to the bank because when their customers need a loan, they got a lender they can call. When they want any services done on the bank side, they have somebody they can call. Not every RIA has that, would have those connections. So they like that, uh, that halo effect. And then the other thing is when you're part of a banking organization, you have candidly more impact and influence with the various levels of management than you might in it within a very large or you know when you're on your own or within a large RIA business where you have access to have, really talk about the business and have your feedback provided to help shape what that independent channel looks like. So I think those are a couple advantages I think we have as a banking organization that grows its own, call it RIA type of advisors. I don't see them moving to a fee only type of model in the short run. I think what will happen first is our compensation models will evolve to a point where you won't be able to tell the difference between one side or the other. And then maybe you do move to a, a different compensation structure because how they receive their compensation has evolved to that steadier stream of, of fee income. But I think the rip the bandaid off approach of make them an RAA only and not do any of the broker or dealer business. To me, we've seen some cautionary tales of moving too fast in that regard, but it's certainly evolving. You can see it. Yeah, I agree with you. It has to be an evolution, but it has to be a purposeful evolution, right? So yeah, I'm all in with that and good for you for going in that direction. All right. Well, Bob is going to wrap this up with a very football oriented question. So Bob, go for it. All right. <laughs> Lightning round. And But first, let me just say, if you haven't read that research report, get a copy of it. It's on the uh, BISANet.org website. It's got a lot of great information and please get a copy, read through it. There's some real good stuff that we tried to highlight today. All right. The Super Bowl is in a couple of weeks. This podcast will probably be released right around the time of the Super Bowl. We just went through Wild Card Weekend. So let's go around the table and get your Super Bowl picks. What two teams will make it and who gets the trophy? Brian, we're going to start with you. The Cowboys in New England. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Try again. Uh, okay. <laughs> Kansas City Kansas City, and the Packers, and Kansas City wins. Okay. Mike? Well, you know what? As a lifelong Bears fan, it's probably going to choke on this, but I agree with Brian 100%. It's going to be a repeat of Super Bowl One with the Packers and Chiefs. With the – you're picking the Chiefs. I'm going to pick the Packers just because I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be motivated to show some people up. All right. And I hate Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know where this, where Scott's going, but Scott, where you well, go? Yeah, this is, I didn't, so I have my picks and I did not expect them to be the same as the ones that you two picked, <laughs> but they are. I also think Aaron Rodgers is going to be incredibly motivated to get it done this time. 
Not that Mahomes isn't, but I just think Aaron Rodgers has something to prove. So yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat that you are, Mike. That's my thought. So all right, Bob, how about you? All right. Well, I am I'm halfway there with you guys, but I will never bet against Tom Brady. So I'm going Tampa and Kansas City, and I'm saying it's a repeat of last year. I just don't see. I I mean, what is it going to be? It's going to be ring number eight. He's going to have ten. Remember, Yogi Berra had one ring for every finger. Brady's going to go there. Why bet against Brady? Well, the interesting thing will be if he wins to see this time, he's not going to make that pass of the Lombardi trophy boat to boat to Gronk. It's going to go, it'll sink. (laughs) That'll be interesting to see. (laughs) So, uh, you know, we'll see. And just so our listeners know, we were actually taping this at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. So Uh sure. Might have proved that we didn't. Virtually. (laughs) There's a there's a picture of the stadium in front of us anyway. (laughs) And we have been passing around a football, so. Yep. Well, hey, let's let's wrap this up. And thank you guys for volunteering to be part of this discussion. Much appreciated. Your thoughts and insights are valuable. And I'm sure our listeners are going to gain value from listening to them. So thanks again. And Bob, I know you have some bring it on home comments that you'd like to make. Yes, our listeners will also be um, rubbing in our face if we're all wrong. So well, well, we're going to fact check ourselves in a couple of weeks. <laughs> we may have some outtakes and we may have to uh, re this. Anyway, thanks again to our participants, Mike and Brian. Thank you so much. Thanks again to the BISA for their partnership and Ameriprise for their sponsorship. And Jeff Hartney is always a big thank you to you as well. Janet Capoletti from Bank Channel Research. Thank you for helping us each and every podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to this series of podcasts wherever you find your other podcasts and check out our others on industry leadership and success and untangling fintech. Grab a chicken wing, grab a beer, enjoy the Super Bowl, And thanks again to the panel. Thank you guys. Bye everybody. Thank you for joining us for this episode of BISA Industry Trend Watch. And thanks to Ameriprise for their much appreciated support. Be sure to subscribe to our two other podcast series, Industry Leadership and Success, focused on industry-leading performance and success stories, and Untangling FinTech, aimed at helping you keep up with the evolution of technology offerings in our industry. Goodbye until next month.